Good morning, I'm Monica Romig, nice to see you guys. I had a middle school teacher that said, there's no such thing as bad weather, only bad choices of clothing. And I stand by that. So I'm um, looking forward to seeing everybody Christmas Eve. Our scripture reading today comes from uh, the gospel according to Matthew chapter one, verses 18 through 25. And that can be found on page 455, if you're using one of the handy dandy blue and white Bibles here says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. The word of the Lord. All right, well, this, is, this will be our slide for today, just kind of a, a nice reminder of uh, Christmas, of uh, the nativity. We'll be talking about really, Joseph, because Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25 is really... No, it's Mary who gave birth, but it's sort of like the birth story, the narrative from Joseph's angle. Uh, and so we'll be reflecting on him a little bit. But before we do that, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for Christmas, you know, that we have it's so beautifully decorated in here and awesome skits about camels and the kids get to go downstairs and learn about you and we get to stay up here and learn about you and learn about... Um, Christ's advent into our world, I pray that you would, like Diana prayed, like prepare our hearts for the arrival of Jesus. And we know that he's already come, but this is like a really special celebration, Father. So prepare our hearts, help us hear from your word, whatever you want us to hear. We love you, we need you. Uh, it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, so it's always fun uh, around this time of year to reflect on like the, the, the Christmas traditions that you grew up with. We all have sort of the, the things that we did with our families, maybe some community events. And one of the big things that my town growing up in did, Estes Park, Colorado, was this day after Thanksgiving Day parade. Right? So it was, a, it was really a Christmas parade, but it was like right after uh, Thanksgiving. And uh, it's, I guess now it's called Catch the Glow uh, Parade. Uh, and there was a lot of like all the like, kind of the typical rides, right? Like the, the candy house and the, the uh, floats, not a ride. Like you couldn't ride in this parade. But there was all the different floats, right? The candy house, various like banks and stores would, would build floats and, and decorate them with lights and festivities. And there was music and uh, people that would walk in it, and it was just like a fun time to kind of get excited for Christmas. And it always ended every year with, you guess who sort of brought up the end of the parade? 
Santa, that's right. <laughs> Not Jesus. Uh, but with Santa. Uh, and he would come riding uh, like on, a, on the back of a semi, right? Like a, a trailer, big trailer. He'd have all of his reindeer. Uh, and I guess they would play like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Like, I remember that song playing. I don't know if it was exactly at that moment, but he was always like the end of the parade, and then all the people would come. And always at the front of that, that, uh, that, that Santa float uh, was Rudolph, right? We're learning all the, the reindeer's names at the, the Romig household. I, I don't know them, uh, but we're, we're learning them. And there's always Rudolph, right, with his uh, red nose. And I remember this moment one of the years where I think it was around this time in the parade, right, uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer played, and my brother made an interesting observation about that song. Uh, you know, we were teenagers, so, you know, making wisecracks about everything. Uh, here's the lyrics, right? Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, I'm not going to sing it, what do you guys, uh, he had a very shiny nose, and if you ever saw it, you would even say it glows, right? And maybe you're thinking the, the tune uh, in your mind. Uh, it, like, it starts pretty nice, it's a pretty nice song, right? And then it goes like this. All the other reindeer used to laugh and call him names. They never let poor Rudolph join in any reindeer games. Wow, that took like a turn. Like if you really pay attention to the lyrics, it's like happy bullying and exclusion. Um, it's not very nice. Then one foggy Christmas, Santa came to say, Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? And then everyone loves Rudolph. Then how the reindeer loved him, as they shouted out with glee, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, you'll go down in history. Uh, and my, the joke my brother, the observation my brother made, was that they, they didn't like, really like Rudolph, right, until he did what they wanted him to do, until he saved the day. He sort of like had to prove his worth uh, until they were willing to welcome him. Like he was, a, he was sort of shamed, uh, he was awkward, he was a social outcast, uh, and then he, he did something good and everyone liked him. So have I ruined the song for you yet? I'm sure you've thought of this, right? Like, couldn't certainly just be me and my, my brother. I actually think there's something in that that is actually pretty accurate to the original Christmas story, right? This ostracization, this shame, this separation, this pushing someone out who you should welcome and you should love. And maybe you're thinking that's a big jump, but I don't think so. See, the first Christmas, it was awkward, it was embarrassing, and it was shameful, right? Merry shameful Christmas. <laughs> we don't walk around saying that, but that's kind of what it was like. I want us to, to read the, the story, right? Again, I'm going to just read a couple verses and we'll talk about it. But I, I want you to kind of focus on the awkwardness, the shame, the, 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 the other nature of this story. Now, the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, behold, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, it's easy to miss this in uh, the, the ESV translation, which I just read. 
But in the NIV, verse 18 says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Okay, so if you've read the first chapter of the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, that was a very interesting way to say it, a teacher way, I feel like, uh, it opens with a genealogy, right? It opens with tracing the royal lineage of Jesus through his parents up the generations to King David and then ultimately to Abraham, like the, the forefather, the patriarch of the Hebrew people, right? Identifying Jesus with this royal lineage. So this is a big moment, right? This is a very big moment. The birth story of the Messiah. The Messiah means God's chosen and promised king. God's special anointed one, right? And so you're like almost built up for like this grand, glorious entrance, right? When a, you know, like, I don't know if you remember when like uh, uh, Prince George was born, right? And like the whole world is like on the cover of People magazine and, and all of these different things. Oh, look how cute this baby is, this royal baby, the next king of Great Britain. And the birth story of Jesus goes much differently. It's more like an episode of Teen Mom. I have not watched this. Someone else in my family has. Elijah really likes it. But right, we're in the, in the, in the Bible story, we're, we're confronted with an unwed pregnancy, a teen pregnancy. We're confronted with a divorce and perhaps a delusional vision all in the first chapter of this gospel, all in the opening chapter of the New Testament. <laughs> this is how it all starts. And I, I do think like shows like Teen Mom sort of maybe sanitize it a little bit or make it entertaining, but I still think it's taboo in our culture too. Now, think of a much more conservative culture where your whole social and economic stability was connected to your sexual purity, and marriage status. And that's where we find ourselves. Teen pregnancy would not be entertaining. It would be ostracizing. It would be adulterous. Now, let me clarify that. Mary probably was 12 to 14, but I just mean like marriage outside of, or uh, uh, pregnancy outside of marriage, right? She's betrothed to Joseph, who's like 18 or 19, and if you're discovered outside of marriage to be pregnant, there's only a couple options, right? Um, the first option is that it was like this very ugly forced event. And we have no hint of that in this story. Mary doesn't report it. She should if, it, if that were the case. Uh, the other option is that Mary and Joseph got together before their marriage. But there's no hint of that in this story. Joseph says, I don't know how she's pregnant. So the third option is that like Mary, who's betrothed, it's like this very serious form of engagement that she committed adultery. That's what it was to like sleep with someone that you weren't going to marry, that you weren't betrothed to, it was considered adulterous. So that's the only option. Right? Like, we are so um, sanitized, I think, in our version 
And it's so like nice and clean to read ours because it immediately says, well, the child was from the Holy Spirit. Like, no one would come up with that option. <laughs> no one would say, oh, okay, that, that child's probably from God. That's like a miraculous conception. Never happened before in the history of humankind. And here suddenly, a child is going to be born who is conceived by God. And this would have been profoundly shameful for Mary and for Joseph, right? especially for Kind of the story is through Joseph's lens. Definitely for Mary, right? She knew kind of the story, though. Like, she knew that the child was from God. But for Joseph, right, it's like a statement on his character, on his ability to provide, maybe on his looks. Why didn't this woman, why didn't my betrothed wait for me? It's like a, a tarnish on his record, and it, all of his hopes and dreams are coming, coming crumbling down. The first Christmas was awkward, it was shameful, it was embarrassing. Now how about us in our stories, right? We, we have those, those moments in our stories that are painful, that are embarrassing, that are shameful, that are awkward. Maybe you on occasion watch YouTube videos. Maybe you've heard of Brene Brown. She's given some TED Talks on shame and vulnerability. She calls shame the swampland of the soul. See, guilt is I did something bad. Shame is I am bad. And shame grows, this is her description, shame grows exponentially in a petri dish of secrecy, silence, and judgment. The solution is empathy, listening, hearing each other, that can heal shame, bringing, just like we talked about, um, uh, McKenna put together this Advent reading on love, right? She talked about the darkness and the light and the light revealing the darkness, right? So empathy can be a form of, of light. God's grace can be a form of light. It is light. Maybe there's shame in your own life. Maybe there's this awkwardness, this deep vulnerability that you feel. Maybe you're ashamed of not being uh, you know, faithful sexually in your marriage. Maybe you're like Mary and Joseph in that way. Maybe you're ashamed of something else, like your parenting or your family or your job, your emotions, your anger, not being strong enough, not providing enough for your family, not having enough uh, or perhaps, you know, eating too many Christmas cookies or eggnog. I can, I can feel that a little bit. <laughs> feel those other things too, actually. Whatever shame you have, whatever shame I have, God wants to breathe life into it. God wants to breathe light into it. I even want to say God wants to bring, breathe empathy into it. Understanding doesn't mean God says that was all good, <laughs> but he is willing to apply his grace to whatever your shame is. And we as the church body, right, we get to, to express empathy and listening to each other as well. We get to be a part of that grace. God showed up for Joseph and Mary, and I want to show you how he did that, and he can show up for us. 
Because I believe there is actually grace in the shame. There's grace in the shame. We see an example of grace in Joseph, who loved Mary, he respected her. I assume he loved her, or at least he respected her, because he didn't want to like, make this big public uh, spectacle of her. He could have. Could have dragged her into court, could have just like declared his innocence. Instead, he sort of arranges for this quiet divorce. There's grace in that. But Joseph's grace actually points to a much greater grace. He is far outmatched by God's grace. Verses 20 and 21 say this, But as he considered these things, Joseph, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. See, grace is when you're headed straight towards a cliff. Something supernatural comes along and just faces you the other direction. That's what God has done in this situation. Mary, Joseph, headed towards catastrophe, shame, ostracization, and God just turns the story around. You can imagine Joseph must have been very anxious, you know, thinking about sort of doing this to Mary and it not really being presented with any other options. Goes to sleep, has a hard time falling to sleep, and then suddenly encounters a divine messenger, an angel, with this message for him that this child is from God. And here's the child's name, Jesus. Jesus, or in the Old Testament, Yeshua or Joshua. It actually means God is salvation or Yahweh saves. Headed towards divorce, (laughs) headed towards darkness, shame, light, sunrise. In the darkest of moments, God has brought grace. And if he can do that for Joseph and Mary, he can do it for us. He is doing it for us. He has done it for us. That's what we're celebrating this week, Christmas. God has brought light in our darkness, even if we turn away from that light or forget to open our eyes. So the question is, where do you need grace? Where do you have shame? Where do you need to extend grace to those around you who are in shame? You know, Joseph extended grace to Mary before he had the vision. (laughs) And so, you know, I know that Christmas can be a a joyful season, but it can also be a season where we're reminded of hurts. How might you extend grace to someone who has shamed you before you feel grace? So God, I think, in that moment, will supply grace to us, to you. Sometimes we have to take that first step. I believe God wants to give us a grace-filled Christmas. Not a shame-filled Christmas, a grace-filled Christmas. God can do that because God embraces the shame of Christmas. (laughs) God embraces the shame of Christmas. I almost titled this sermon Shameful Christmas, 
I was like, I don't know if anyone will want to listen to that. <laughs> right? Shame is not, I made a mistake, but I am a mistake. And I wonder if that's maybe how Mary felt or Joseph felt before they saw like the true extent of the story. But then what happens? God comes along and says, this was the plan. This was the plan all along, Mary. This was the plan all along, Joseph. All this took place, verses 22 and 23, to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. I mean, it's like, this is a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy 700 years before. This is not a shameful event. Well, it sort of is, but it's like a grace event. It's grace in shame. So whatever we go through as a church body, whatever we go through in our lives, where we're experiencing darkness, like what if God knew that was going to happen and yet had a greater plan, a moment for us to experience God's grace? We see it here. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah 7, 14. Emmanuel, which means God with us. Right? What God, I don't, I don't know if God could have done it, but I guess God can do whatever he wants, right? But God like, could have stayed in heaven and just been like, you know, here's a way to be saved. I'm going to be up here. You're going to be down there. Right? And that's often how we like to deal with shameful situations and dark situations, right? We don't really want to like step into it because it's really murky and ugly. What does God do? God steps into this world, conceived in a womb, enters this world through a birth canal, enters into this world completely naked, vulnerable. Not even in like, I don't know where they would have done like sanitized birth, but like in a manger where animals eat hay. Not on the cover of People magazine. Maybe more like on an episode of Teen Mom. God embraces the shame of Christmas. God steps into this world with us. God with us. It's so easy to like blast past that. But you know what's good about a pandemic? It requires us to slow down and to think about the big thoughts of life. Where is God? Why is this happening? God does not give us all of the answers. But instead, he comes and he steps into the story, he steps into the suffering, and he is with us. See, Jesus can empathize with us. Jesus is God because, like, he took on human flesh. Jesus knows what it's like to have, like, a tummy ache, (laughs) to have a headache, to smell, to need deodorant 2,000 years before it was invented. (laughs) Jesus knows what it's like. This Christmas, God embraces you. He wraps his arms of love around you. He's not afraid of your shame. He's not afraid of your darkness. Whatever you've done, whatever you're doing, whatever you will do, 
we as the church should be like the most empathetic people of all. The first Christmas was awkward, shameful, embarrassing. But there's grace in the shame. And we know that because God embraces the shame of Christmas. And so we can embrace the shame of Christmas with grace too. So here's the funny thing. Joseph does everything right, and he suffers for it. <laughs> right? Tries to be gracious to Mary. Angel shows up. He obeys the angel. Takes Mary to be his wife. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and to call his name Jesus. Joseph went against every social and cultural norm to take Mary as his wife. Joseph and Mary faced a lifetime of ostracization and shame. It did not stop because Jesus was God. Like the whole, their, their, their towns, their villages that they lived in didn't suddenly say, oh, this must be God. This, it's, it's okay. Everyone else in their community, their family, would have believed that Mary committed adultery and that Joseph took her as his wife anyways. You just simply didn't do that. In fact, we, we see that later. Coming to his hometown, Jesus began teaching the people in their synagogue. So this is Nazareth. And they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? They asked. Isn't this the carpenter's son? They don't even say Joseph's name. Isn't his mother's name Mary? They took offense at him. The way they say that is like, isn't this the manual laborer whose mother, well, you know. God embraced the shame of Christmas. Joseph embraced the shame of obedience and trust and faith. You know, life didn't get easier for Joseph. The angel appeared to him twice after this, once to flee to Egypt, because Herod was going to kill all the babies, and then once more to bring Joseph and Mary and the baby home from Egypt and went to Nazareth. Life didn't get easier. <laughs> but God was present. God was with them. We don't really know like how the story turns out for Joseph. But we know how it ultimately turns out. God did step into the world and provides grace in the shame. Forgot, provides forgiveness for sins. So if you are wrestling with shame or darkness, I want to encourage you to do two things. First, tell Jesus. Just lay it before him. You can write it in a journal or pray about it. And then second, tell someone you love. Tell someone you can trust. Be vulnerable. Let God's grace, let them apply like empathy and God's grace to you. Because if you don't share, there's no way for them to do that. It takes risk. I guess the third one is be prepared to be a listening here. And then expect God to show up. Expect God to be with you and to be with us.
I'm looking forward to celebrating Christmas Eve with all of you on the Westford Common, right? There will be a moment where we'll break the glow sticks and it will be like, we can hold up the glow stick, right? The whole day will not brighten. (laughs) It'll still be nighttime, but there will be light. And that's this story right here. The first Christmas was awkward, shameful, embarrassing, but there's grace in it because God embraces the shame of Christmas. And so we, as we follow after Jesus, can do that too because God has embraced us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Christmas. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for grace. That's really what we need. We need grace because we all feel shame or awkwardness or ostracization in some way, and COVID sort of amplifies that. And so we just need you to be with us. Thank you for redeeming Joseph and Mary's story in the, in the long run through Calvary. We love you, Lord. We love you so much. We need you. Amen.